Welcome to Committing Faith in Public, a podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith, working for a more just, kind, and hospitable society. Through the stories our guests tell, we want to encourage you to commit your faith in public, too. I'm Gary Palusa-Verdand, Executive Director of the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Chelsea Yarborough. She's an assistant professor of liturgical studies at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, a place where I earned both my MDiv and also served on faculty and staff for five years, so it's close to my heart. Dr. Yarborough recently completed a PhD at Vanderbilt Divinity School. She's one of the speakers this year at Phillips Remind and Renew event, January 25th to 27th in Tulsa. On the Remind and Renew webpage, it says Dr. Yarbrough is a professor and minister known for exploring liturgy in the context of black theology and preaching outside the pulpit. Uh, Her ordination is in the National Baptist Convention. Uh, Dr. Chelsea Yarbrough, welcome to Committing Faith in Public. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so, so great to have you. Hey, tell us some about your work. How do you describe what it is you do? Yeah, no, absolutely. Particularly in the academy. I mean, I think it's helpful to first situate myself. So I'm a black feminist um, and womanist practical theologian who focuses uh, their attention on preaching and worship as like my space of inquiry um, for what it means for communities to engage in faith formation and what it means for individuals to create some sort of inbreaking or opening um, to new realities through rhetoric and ritual. Um, so in that, I center mm-hmm. the experiences of Black women, which have often been ignored or mismanaged in academic inquiry as the site for my own theoretical assertions. Um, so I study historical Black women. I study the contemporary kind of mm-hmm. phenomena of what's happening now. And I'm always looking to create new lineages that push against the kind of normative genres that I know were created uh, without Black women in mind. And so what happens when Mm. Black women are centered, um, the kind of normative understandings of liturgy begin to move, uh, what preaching is and can be and who we look to as our kind of preaching elders and canons Mm. begins to shift. And my hope is that, you know, I open up the possibilities for um, more freedom, more hope, more uh, justice for those uh, for whom those things are not often afforded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I'd like to follow up on a bunch <laughs> of that, uh, but we're going to have to do that in another time. That sounds like fascinating work. Um, today, I want to focus more on, on, on uh, particularly, uh, and I think we'll get certainly get into your work this way, um, with the word ritual. Um, uh, we hear the word ritual used in both um, ecclesial or church settings, uh, liturgical settings and the like, but also in public settings. Um, when we're talking about ritual, what is it we're talking about? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question because even especially now as spirituality becomes um, moved into different sectors and different public spaces, I think the word ritual is used so frequently that it's like, wait, what is, what is this thing that we're talking about mm-hmm. is the ritual mm-hmm. of marriage, the same as my ritual of waking up in the morning and drinking my tea intentionally, or it's like, what are we saying? And so I think when I think about what ritual is at its core, is that it's an intentional container that allows for kind of a moment to be held 
that represents a larger mm-hmm. journey and possibility of a moment. Mm-hmm. So like the ritual of a uh, marriage or a ritual of a wedding represents a much longer marriage, wedding, ideally. Right? <laughs> the yeah. ritual of yeah. right. <laughs> uh, the ritual of when I talk about to like clients and colleagues around what rituals they can start their day with, the ritual of meditation and drinking your tea in an intentional way is really kind of marking time for what we hope to be a peaceful and more fluid experience. And so I think at its core, ritual is an intentional inbreaking into what could be otherwise um, that intentionally like moves us beyond the kind of uh, chronology of everyday time to remind us mm-hmm. that we're moving towards something otherwise. Mm, okay. Um, so can you give us some examples from, uh, I mean, you gave some examples such, such as the, uh, a wedding ritual yeah. uh, or, or a, a morning routine that mm-hmm. in a, in a, done in a particular way, uh, can become a ritual. Um, can you think of some other, uh, rituals from public life just to help people orient that, you know, you're, we see rituals, uh, uh, with some regularity, uh, besides in our worship context? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the one that's coming to my mind is, um, the rituals around, and I'm, I'm highlighting rituals that I enjoy and that I want to keep happening on purpose. Yeah, yeah. There are plenty of other things right. that are happening with regularity that don't need to be. But one thing that is coming to mind in public life is, is the ritual of protest um, and mm. the way that protest uh, kind of creates a ne- necessary disruption to the kind of everydayness that points people towards the possibility of what a more just and whole world would look like. And so I, it's interesting because what folks who are not often oriented in protest spaces, CS chaotic is actually like a fairly ordered space. Like there are usually openings at protests. There's some type of invitation. There's some type of movement. And so um, if there's a, there's a following of a, uh, what one might call a service, what others don't need to, but it creates this container that says like, Uh what is does not have to be. And so through this ritual, hopefully there's a kind of um, breaking in to mm-hmm. what could be mm-hmm. the everydayness of life, but what we know it not to be now. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting one. Um, yeah, bec- with with there being some expected elements, mm-hmm. uh, 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 some expected practices are part along the way, um, but also that interesting, uh, very interesting. I think as you're talking about the the disruption of a of a, of a timeline, mm-hmm. um, uh, in a, in a way that opens, uh, uh, opens hope, uh, in, in, but, but also, um, let's say it's a disruption of, of, um, what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and, and so it just, yeah, thinking about protest as, in terms of the rituals around it, I think is really helpful. Um, so, one of the things that I find fascinating about ritual is, uh, and and my own uh, what what has been a, a I think too too um, uh, unidimensional uh, understanding of ritual is when one thinks about ritual in terms of both time and place. Um, uh, I think uh, I was I was certainly uh, when I came through Garrett Evangelical and uh, my seminary experience uh, the. You know the 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 both it, in theology as well as in biblical theology, 
salvation history was all the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, coming out of the, the German schools, uh, the Heilsgeschichte, uh, that this is uh, the Bible and theology is all about a history of salvation, which puts nearly everything about Christianity on an historical timeline uh, that has to do with people. Um, but not necessarily connecting people with place and space, uh, nor connecting uh, people with uh, God's larger creation and world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I'm just I'm curious how your own your own work in ritual may uh, uh, may highlight and and call attention to not only time but also place and space. Yeah, so I think often when I think about um both time and space honestly of like who has the luxury of it like who has and it's interesting because people will be like well you know everyone has time and <laughs> you know we mm, all we mm. decide what we do with it or uh and that's just i will say that everyone does not have time in the same way and everyone right. does not have right. the luxury of space right. in the same way so when i think about ritual and the way it um in my opinion offers new space and disrupts like the everydayness of time. Um, I think about how critical it's been as a strategy for justice because you have particularly for, I'm thinking about black women, this is my work, particularly the ways that black women have carved space when like society has said like you are labor and not life or have marked time and created their own sense of, um, what it means to be alive and what it means to birth and what it means to be well and what it means to declare your own flourishing in a space that like is pretty created for your demise that these rituals of, I'm thinking of rituals of care amidst mm. black women, rituals of hospitality um, towards other people that did not deserve their hospitality. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And what it means to like, to, how do I want to say this? What it means to actually declare that all space and all time is sacred and to mm-hmm. move through life in that way so that the ritual is not necessarily this is now sacred time as much as it is time is always sacred. Let's notice it. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a different orientation um, that comes from uh, womanist thought and that comes from uh, centering the way that black women look, have to um, look at the, um, Look at the the divinity that comes from within as a way to honor, acknowledge, and be in community with the divinity beyond us and around us. Yeah, yeah. It actually, reminds me too of Martin Buber made a comment that uh, there is only the holy and the not yet holy. That's it. That's it. Because like you know, it's holy once we decide it is right. It's sacred once we decide it is. Right. And if I decide that I am sacred, which I already have, if I decide that I am a sacred place, then where I move and where I step also becomes sacred and holy ground. And so mm-hmm. then I use rituals to market for myself, but also to market for others who might not be witnessing life in the same way I am. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it was my reading in um, uh, Vine Deloria and then in uh, 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 Robin Wall Kimmerer and Braiding Sweetgrass are uh, which has become like my, that could be my all time favorite book now. Yeah. I love that uh, book. It's a great one. 
Yeah, and 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 just the attention to I mean both really talk about uh the the ritualization of space uh and the importance of place. Mm-hmm. Um uh and rather than just a historical timeline tied some way to development and progress and and there was a more primitive time and now we're in a more developed time and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing uh which uh, sometimes I think the um, the disruption of thinking about ritual in place is is well what happened in that place uh, uh, and there I think so much of the protest as you as you mentioned earlier so so much of protest is about something bad something some unjust suffering um, uh, murders uh, uh, abuse and the like that have happened within that particular place mm-hmm. uh, and then creating rituals in that place is a um, is a disruption again of that timeline of everything's always gotten better. It's interesting mm-hmm. that you brought bringing sweet girls up because I think what she does well in that book is um, invite us to look at the kind of minutia of space, like look at like this one blade of grass or look at this, like mm-hmm. one berry or look at this mm-hmm. and like see it as a part of a much wider and more abundant ecosystem but also mm-hmm. to note that like that one blade of grass also has a story. And so it's pretty powerful to me to, when we think about people in that same way and in that same ecosystem is just like, yes, we are vast and plentiful and there are major moods that we have to shift. But what ritual also does is honor the individual and says mm-hmm. like, what is mm-hmm. your narrative that brought you to this place? And like, what is this space saying to you? Because what this ground means to one person is not going to mean the same to the other. And then for black people to be on ground that uh, was forced upon us. Right. And, and to still be able to find places to call it sacred to me is such a profound um, and really mind boggling phenomena mm-hmm. that black people still see this, this earth and particularly this, uh, this country and find ways to mark and push for and expand the possibilities of what hopefulness and flourishing and wellness might look for our bodies in this space, knowing that the actual timeline and the actual creation of place and space was literally meant for our destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Your comments remind me of, of, of something I think of in terms of Oklahoma um, uh, and you know, Oklahoma is a place that was, uh, promised as, as hopeful, mm-hmm. um, to native peoples, uh, to free black peoples, Absolutely. uh, and also then to everybody who, who participated in the uh, land runs, mm. uh, you know, so there was, there was this mixing of really a lot of what's made for, uh, for what America is right here in Oklahoma and mm-hmm. that, and, and that, um, each with a different story, each with a different sense of place yeah, and what absolutely. this place meant to them, um, that we still see playing out in, in Oklahoma politics and oh, I'm sure church life and the like. So it's mm-hmm. always, it's something, something I was unaware of, uh, until, uh, really living here and, and becoming as, 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 um, as um, resident as I've 
wound up becoming. And uh, I can't, I really can't call myself a Chicagoland person anymore. I've been <laughs> 27 or so years in the, in, in this area. So, yeah, no, the shift yeah. is real. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Which again, is another yeah. marking of space that you just named how we yeah, learn. Absolutely. Right. And one of those markings of space and time that's been very important here, especially in the Tulsa area that got national attention over the last year it was the uh, uh, the marking of the hundred years since the Tulsa race massacre in uh, May and early June first of uh, nineteen twenty one, and and there's been a, a, a really important uh, conversation, uh, I would say on and off, but that was mostly on during the last year uh, here around reparations, mm-hmm. uh, um, and. For me, thinking in terms of what it is that people of faith may have to contribute to public life uh, for a, a better public and not just a, you know a greater church uh, is uh, is around uh, social repair. Um, if we're really interested in social repair and social healing, uh, what did you know? What is it that w- that we need to do? What is it also that people of faith may have to offer? Um, and I think about all of the pieces of social repair that are part of the Christian tradition uh, uh, from, you know, confession and, uh, and uh, penance uh, and uh, 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 eventually forgiveness and reconciliation, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but uh, not usually a jump from confession to forgiveness without there being, some uh, something more in between, um, and especially this at, in this uh, stressed time, uh, both in the culture as well as in our churches. You know, for somewhat similar and somewhat different reasons, uh, but the pandemic and uh, this era of what I hope is truly an era of racial reckoning. Um, uh, these, these are, you know, stressors in the culture, stressors in the churches, and there's clearly a, a significant amount of social upheaval, uh, social up, uh, unrest, um, and a hope, I would hope, uh, that, you know, that unrest is not our permanent condition. Some mm-hmm. sort of repair is possible, uh, so that we might actually, as, as all of our, this diversity of peoples here in this nation um, might actually figure out a way to live together in a more just and equal democratic society, uh, uh, you know, which some days I'm hopeful about and other days, not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so um, tell, tell me about some of your take on, on, on the kind of the rituals we have within uh, the Christian tradition, uh, which, you know, whether regardless of their strength today, uh, um, you know, maybe resources that if we were uh, if we were powerful in the way we practice them within our faith communities, we also might have something to offer for social repair in the larger society. Yeah. So what's your what's your take on that? I have so much to say. <laughs> good. good. Um, yeah. So I think I want to start here in that. So social repair is really loaded for me um, mm-hmm. because. When I think about it, and I, I have these conversations often because um, I do a lot of work with pastors who are trying to think through what it means. Most, a lot of white pastors who are trying to think through what it means to have a multicultural congregation. 
And my mm-hmm. question is always, who is that for? Like, you mm. know, because mm. people, you know, I really want to have multicultural worship. I want to have multicultural congregation. And I was like, well, who is it for? And like, where are you pulling people from to have this space? Because like, I'm not leaving. All churches have their own problems, but I'm not leaving the black church to go to a multicultural church in the name of someone else's idea of like this looking like reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And so we have these conversations. And what I've noticed is that the conversation around social repair is often, you know, alongside a couple of things, either this like idea of some community that people have found in their minds in the text that was like perfect, which like, if you read the Bible, it's like not <laughs> really not right, there, right, right. really not there at all. <laughs> right. Or this kind of, you know, utopia we've created in our mind where somehow justice like emerges like a tree or something. And Mm. I think that for me, there's a, the word I like to, I prefer is social reimagining because Uh I don't think that there's any sort of repair that repair remind is like going back to something that Mm. feels like justice or equity to me. There's Uh no world that has existed since any sense of the colonial age, which like we don't really, you know, have much, you know, we, we, it's hard to extract our world at this point from colonialism in any sort of way right, um, right. that I would want to return to. And so right. when I think of social reimagining, to me, there's a helpful kind of like opening there because it allows for us to actually begin to name not just what we see, but also what we are willing to then give up to see it. And so I think one of the practices that comes up um, for me is, which is like, it sounds so basic, but is repentance. But it's not the rhetoric of repentance. It's the ritual of it. It's the doing. It's the turning from. And so it's like, okay, we can say, you know, we want more equitable whatevers. But like, what are we, you know, what are we in our individual selves? And what are we collectively and systemically actually giving up? to tear down the frameworks that exist because they exist on the backs of the disenfranchised. And so like our system just can't live as is. And so um, I think when I think of repentance, I think of like a, a reckoning, a reckoning that is not going to be comfortable and it's not going to be cute. It's going to be really difficult because it's a disruption of everything we know the world to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that again, repentance is one of the practices of, not just naming the ills, but turning away from them intentionally as a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And then I also think of uh, the necessity of lament, but mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. sure that lament is is done in a way that does not put extra labor on those that are already having to labor a lot. And so I, I was brought into a space one time, they were creating a healing circle and I was, I said, yes, <laughs> and because I, um, I was intrigued mostly. And it was three, there were three black pastors in there, um, three black clergy, I was included, and like 25 white pastors. And it became this two hour weeping session of these white mm. pastors being like, I'm so sorry for how like hard it's been for you. And it was so incredibly uncomfortable because i I saw the tears, but I didn't hear the change. I did not. There was nothing said that told me that like, and now we're going to 
give half of our church's tithing to this organization, or now we're going to cut our, cut our, you know, income, knowing that like, if we're living above this line, we live on the backs of these other people. And I, people, when I say this kind of stuff, you're like, well, that's hard. You know, people have families, people have stuff. And I said, I get it. It is hard, but that kind of disruption, that kind of turning into something otherwise is, is the, the fodder and the foundation for a type of reimagining of what it means for us to live together. Um, And so, yeah, I think of those two things, lament and repentance, but then in a more hopeful sense, I think of practices of table, like how do we gather together? How do we fellowship? And when I think of like the tables that um, are my favorite, it's kind of like the potluck table. How do we all bring things together Mm -hmm. that we enjoy, but like taste the home of someone else? Um, Mm -hmm that we might all leave more fed, more well, more whole than how we came to the table. And so there are the practices of tables that we sit at. And then there are practices of table that we turn over. <laughs> and I think that mm, both practices mm, mm. are critical and both practices are very um, rooted in our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. And uh, I, I'd like to talk to you further about it. I hope I get a chance to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, in, uh, in January, um, and I, I, I appreciate very much the uh, social reimagining versus social repair because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I am of the school that says that we're trying something in, or this this moment in American history is, in, uh, uh, at least, uh, uh, we are trying to do something that hasn't been done before. It's not a matter of restoring some past golden age. It really is a, you know, can you have a, a a multicultural uh, shared power, uh, more equal democracy, uh, 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 in a way that the world's not seen it before, uh, and so it is a reimagining. So I, I appreciate that on the repair. The last thing I was uh, want to ask though the, about though is repentance, which is um, I think that's also as, as the reparations uh, conversations that have happened here. Mm-hmm. That's that's you know that's a form of certainly reparations is a form of repentance. And what's so interesting to me is, uh, you know, uh, if I understand correctly, um, Martin Luther, when he was reducing uh, the uh, Catholic sacraments down to two, uh, uh, as the other reformers did too, of the two, you know, the two dominical sacraments that have come from the Lord um, of baptism and communion, he was a, he was hesitant to give up on repentance. Um, repentance and, and, and actually is penance, mm-hmm. I guess it was on penance. And that is, I find at least in, in my own experience in, in predominantly white Protestant congregations, talk about repentance, you know, somewhat, uh, as a kind of a change of heart, but talking about penance, uh, that's not in our conversation. It's like, no, that's all been paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and rather than no, that's actually a, a, uh, a, a critical element of the way that human communities actually might be able to repair. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that to to use that framework, it's like if repentance is the rhetoric, then penance is the practice. And so it's just like cool. Like we know that this was went left, <laughs> and I also think that's important to note that like when injustice is done, when things have been. And justice almost feels because it's so like we talk about it so often, almost feels like so light of a thing to say. Yeah, and like right. egregious and inhumane and like 
horrific and like horrendous acts are done, there is actually nothing that can be done on the other side that will justify or make right that issue. When lives are lost, it's so interesting to me when people are like, oh, like, you know, justice for name any of uh, the many Black lives that have been slaughtered at the hands of those called to protect and serve. So, like, justice for this person. And it's like, yeah, we want folks to be convicted, but a life was lost. A family is grieving. The community has been disrupted. And that doesn't stop. It just makes it even worse and more of a slap in the face and more you know, horrible Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. uh, folks don't just get to do it, but also get off for it. And so like, when I think about penance, to me, I think of like the text is simply the reasonable service (laughs) of the society to offer all that it can, knowing it actually will never be enough because life and breath is not something that can be replaced. And I think that that to me is what's interesting around the conversations of justice is I find that sometimes it's around like, how do we make it even? Like, how do we make it right? And I think the reality is like, we actually can't, but how can we do what is most right is really the question. How can we do what is mm-hmm. most well? And how can mm-hmm. we turn away that these practices are not what is normal normal anymore? And these um, injustices, to use the word that I just said I wasn't going to use, uh, but these injustices are not what we are accustomed to. I think mm-hmm. that's the change. Mm-hmm. And so- Again, Mm -hmm. social reimagining for me is is deep, is deep, deep, deep spiritual work um, that manifests itself in the pragmatic, in the everydayness. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's where lament comes also intersects with what we're talking about, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, I think lamentation is both a, um, a, um, a, a cry against injustice and also uh, something of an acknowledgement of, of something which can't be fixed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, that's it's a hard. different space to live in. That's a different space to live in. Yeah. It is really, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, it's deep grief. It's deep, deep grief. Um, yeah. And in there, there's hope is a hope is, I think is an important word because I think of like the spirituals, and the ways that they hold hope and lament together. And so it's like hope sometimes it's just like, I'll show up tomorrow and see. And like, sometimes that has to be enough, but it can't be, an, it, that has to be enough for those who have suffered under the hands of injustice. It can't be enough for those that have had the privilege of not. And I think yeah. like, um, when I think about what a new world might look like, or I ideate about this often, I'm also just like, I don't know if the privilege can be in power, I don't know if that can even be a just world. And I think that that is also a ma- massive disruption is I don't actually think it's equality in leadership anymore. I think it's equity. And what we know about the way the world has already turned is that there have been some folks who have been in power for much for, for a very long time. And so for the tables to turn uh, again, it just has to be a reimagining of what it, what it even says, what we even think that we're doing here as humans in community with one another, the earth and God. So lots of conversations to have. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Chelsea Arborough, thanks so much for uh, being on with me this morning. And I really look forward to uh, hearing you and getting to meet you at uh, Remind and Renew January 25th to 27th. Yes, I look forward Uh, to it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. This has been Committing Faith in Public. 
a podcast from the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary. Copyright Phillips Theological Seminary and Gary Peluso Verdet. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Phillips Theological Seminary.